Hey friends, this is not an easy show. Sometimes you might hear us every once in a while having a, a little bit of a laugh with an anecdote, but that's to kind of ease the, the overall tension that we might experience with this. And so we have a content warning, trigger warning. Um, this show where we're going to talk about uh, sexual abuse, uh, sexual assault, and the cover-up of bad behaviors at a private church-related school. It happens to be a Lutheran school. And it is, uh, it is a story that hits kind of close to home, because Stacy and I, Lutherans. Um, and, and yet, it serves as a kind of case study for a lot of what we've been talking about since season one. In fact, our, uh, our friend uh, Theron uh, he sent us this story uh, that was an update to the story. Uh, Theron Jenkins is a musician and a coach and a, and a cool guy. Um, and he also told us that he really appreciated his school because he's an alumnus of the school. We're going to talk about Concordia Preparatory School in Maryland. And I think that's what makes it so difficult for us to face these things when something is powerful in our lives, positive in our lives. It's at precisely those moments where it's hard for us to really face difficult realities. Now, in this case, what we're looking at is the story that's made national news through several periodicals. Uh, it's that there are now five students suing Concordia Prep for not addressing an environment in which uh, inappropriate sexual behaviors were taking place. And I'm talking about, um, we're talking about rape. We're talking about uh, just a generally uncomfortable environment for students. We're talking about uh, all of the things we've been talking about on this show. But here, there's a lot of detail that we, we get to look at. We get to look at the way in which um, it was addressed in the media, with lawyers or whatever. And the reason we're looking at this, we're going to be unpacking a story primarily from the Washington Post and then commenting on some of the ways in which this helps us illustrate but also get a little bit deeper into some of the ways that we can identify and then work to address problematic behaviors in church-related communities, schools, and especially, as it turns out, athletic programs. I also want to make sure it's very clear that these, uh, these are ongoing investigations. It's important for us to make clear that we're just going off this journalistic account of the situation, but if it's anything like what they say it is, uh, it's, a really, uh, it's a really tragic situation. So, if you're ready for it, come along for the ride. Let's go. All ahead, one-third. All ahead, one-third. Aye, aye. Time by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons on outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the crisis text line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, just take a deep breath because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all 
resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. So one of the main like excitements about this trip, Stacy, <laughs> was my favorite free camping space in the world, which was Blues Beach. Blues Beach. <laughs> Just outside of Fort Bragg, it was where we met the 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 family that had the young girl who said, "Daddy, can we stay here forever and ever?" You know, and and we met Lord and Pebbles, the mm-hmm. hippie royalty that you know, really made a profound impact on on my thinking, at least related to our values in life. It was Lord and Pebbles that conversation where he was saying, maybe you don't need to have a piece of dirt in the San Diego County area. Maybe that's more trouble than it's worth. And maybe that's just a sign of your fear that's not flowing with life. And yet we were hoping to see him. We did not see him because since COVID, the 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 powers that be have made this uh, a, a really... I think a good opportunity to well, shut yeah, down. I noticed that most yeah, most everywhere there are signs of saying, you know, no over, Fresh. no overnight uh, you know, parking or anything of any kind. Uh, or sometimes it can just be uh vehicle heights that can't park there overnight or something with or certain lengths. But yeah. but it really has cracked down um, you know, on the ability to find you know, free places along the Pacific Coast Highway yep. to to stop and and sleep and then even if you are ever able to find a free place it's definitely you know usually outside of any sort of uh you know data possibility or certainly not wi-fi of any kind because you're on your own anyway yeah (laughs) but um but yeah so the data is pretty weak in a lot of these locations and so when it when you still need to kind of check in a little bit (laughs) for some emails and things like that then we've had to kind of result resort to certain campsites so a few of them will still have inexpensive, you know, but this is what Wi-Fi this is what Lord and, and Pebble said they never did in thirty years, which they is didn't pay, pay for, for anything. It. And I didn't want to pay for it, and it got a principle. Yeah, I guess we got to figure out where they are now because we didn't find them, so they went somewhere else. Now but. we're recording <laughs> from a uh, casino run, mm-hmm. run by the uh, local reservation here, and um, there I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to, to Bingo, mm-hmm. but it also does cost us money even when it's quote-unquote free if, if, you, we if, you, if you step inside you know but the nice the nice thing about often with the casinos is you often can get decent cell uh, yes. signals and um you know possibility of wi-fi so we were able to do some some nice zoom conversations with the university about some potential travel trips and some old friends and so it's been it's been good to do that but as we were in that context, instead of living on, let's say, a beach, which we had originally intended, we're just outside of the area where we were going to stay for 14 days, if we yeah. could, on the beach. And we found ourselves at a campsite that was still walking distance to a beautiful beach, and you had tried it. Yes. But I found myself getting annoyed with you as I was walking to the beach because you were walking in a, in a way that just felt weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically what I had noticed was that as you were walking and you were hold, holding the leash with Bendy, that pretty much you just keep charging forward, walking and the cars, you know, let them go around us as they as they will. Right. And I tried to 
reduce the profile of us as much as possible so they can safely get by. But I was very uncomfortable with the fact that you kept wanting to move, not acknowledge or step aside or whatever, let these cars go by. When I had walked by myself, basically when a car would come, you know, when it got, I could hear it get closer. And when it got close enough, I would just stop hold the leash very, you know, distinctly so they could see that I've got my dog under control and there's no, you know, no problems that are going to happen. And they would pass quite quickly. And I realized that I felt that when we were walking together, that car kind of, you know, lingering behind us, traveling very slowly, lasted longer. And I was uncomfortable with that. I was often, you know, in, in the back or whatever. And so all of my sensibilities of like things that I've been taught to like know my surroundings, make sure that, you know, that, you know, if I'm, I, I don't like that idea of maybe being followed, you know? And mm -hmm. so if I stop and turn around and make eye contact or whatever, that then that driver will either move along or I'll figure out what the problem is or whatever I might need to address if they don't. But I realized that I'm much more apprehensive to just like take up space or, or feel like I own this space that no, I'm very much going to sort of step aside and then let them do their business. You very much seem to have this attitude of like, I'm going to keep going where I'm going and they can, you know, you weren't disrespectful, but, but you're just going to keep, my you're going to keep moving and you're fine to be walking on this road. We got to share the road, <laughs> you know, and you've been like I said, you've been going around people all day long on PCH and bicycles and, you know, walking hikes and things like that. And and so you've been doing that. Well, I realized that we walk different as men and women. And maybe, you know, I don't know if other women walk the same as, as me. I'm not sure. But I, I realized... You cruise through the world mm -hmm. in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I probably didn't feel that I had the, even like the freedom really right. to just feel like I can and should own this space. Now, this may have to do with where you grew up and what kind of roads you've been on. This is not. And whether pedestrians thing, you know, have yeah, the right of way right, or not right, right, in your area, obviously. But it ties into today's topic because I think one of the biggest issues related to white dude leadership not understanding what's going on, right? Even when they might want to know what's going on or think they want to know what's going on. They don't even realize that they might walk the road differently, right? We walk the road differently. And so, so they can't, the kind of fears. They can't see it. Yeah, the fears and vulnerabilities of a kid going to middle school, high school in a church-related environment. It may look on the outside like it's a perfectly safe scenario because you're a dude and you could imagine yourself as an eighth grader or a sophomore being able to navigate it. Um, but this may not be true for everybody. And that's what makes this so difficult. And then you couple that with um, that idea that we really care about this institution. We care about the church body that supports the institution. And so by saying something negative about what's going on, that also may be a threat to the whole thing. You know, and those biases and those positions, they're all what, you know, liberal arts people talk about, about privilege, you know, and it's all this politicized thing. This is not politicized, mm -hmm. friends. I mean, 
it is politicized because life is political. But it's in how you walk in your own shoes. But in these shoes, <laughs> but know? in these shoes, people are also getting trampled sometimes. Yeah. Is the point? And so, and so, when we talk about privilege, when we talk about gender roles, when we talk about abusiveness in the church, it's like this is just basic emergency safety measures we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. This is not about some highfalutin critical theory of any kind. It, those may be involved. Right. And uh, and social scientific moral uh, moral psychology and all that is uh, really, really helpful for for unpacking it. But the fact is, if you don't want to deal with the big theoretical issues, just listen to people as we've as we've heard people tell us on this show. Listen to people and take these stories seriously. And if you do, maybe they don't have to be in multiple national news sources. So there have been several news stories about this um, really unfortunate climate is is what it seems to be according to the reports so the main article that you were looking at was from the washington post entitled five former students allege sexual assault misconduct at lutheran school near baltimore and this was written by justin moyer uh, and it came out may 28th 2021 this is the article that we were clued into by theron jenkins who um uh, was saying you know hey this is this is not pleasant that I'm sharing this, but he saw the connection between what we were talking about on this podcast and this school. Uh, and as uh, and as he says, you know, uh, had a great experience there. Yeah. And so because of because of that, it's really helpful for us to say these places and these people and these meaningful relationships, all of that sometimes when they're positive, get in the way of us being able to see those negative things. I don't want people to feel threatened as they travel down the road. I just want to recognize that when something seems safe to me, it may not feel the same way to other people. Likewise, if you didn't sense a problem in your high school, but other people are complaining about something, Mm -hmm. you probably should listen to those voices because it's hard to be somebody who is in one of these situations and speak up. Right. So you almost the reason you turn up the volume on those quieter voices is because it probably took a thousand points of courage just to get the the lung capacity out, you know, to 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 just say in a meek way, "Hey, I've got a problem." Mm-hmm. The reason we privilege these voices isn't because people aren't equal; it's that the people that have the megaphone often um, are going to drown out these other voices that we should be paying attention to. Yeah. So the article starts out and it says Natalie Hartsoe was 14 when she decided she wanted to try a private high school. After eighth grade, she transferred to Concordia Preparatory School, a Lutheran campus outside Baltimore. Within months, Hartsoe alleged in a lawsuit against the school, a student had asked her to show him her naked body on a FaceTime video. And when she complied, he recorded it without her knowledge and shared it with her with other students. A third student sexually assaulted her in a locker room when she was cornered by a crowd of male students, she said. Hartso, now 18, said that she complained to the school's administrators, but nothing was done. She dropped out, started taking Xanax to sleep, and had PTSD blackouts, she said. I'm impressed I made it out of there alive, Hartso said. They could have helped me and chose not to help me. They destroyed me. I'm going to stop there for a second because I want to reflect on a couple different things. And I mentioned this because I think it's important. The, you know, it talks about here at the beginning when she was asked to be shown like the, her naked body, right, through FaceTime, mm-hmm. and she complied. 
there's a couple things that come into play here and it, you know, I don't know her upbringing or background or things like that, but sometimes it can be easy for us to say, well, that was stupid. Why did she, right. you know, why did she undress and do, you know, and, and, you know, become naked in front of, you know, on, on FaceTime. So there's, there's that piece. Now she in no way consented to it being video recorded. And I don't know what sort of pressures she felt or even what agency she felt over her own body to even really say no, or what was she worried about if she did say no? I don't, you know, you don't know any of those things. And we sometimes think, oh, well that, you know, you you do something, I would never do that. So then this is her problem. This takes us back to that idea we've talked about many times on the show. In abusive cultures, when all sins are the same, you're already just kind of unable to address your situation if at the very root of this problem, there is what the evangelical, in this case, Lutheran community is going to call a sin, right? Right. So you're already all sinning. So let's just all just be done with this. Let's, you know, if we're going to sweep something under the rug, it feels a lot better if everybody's implicated. The thing that makes me especially uncomfortable about this as well is something that we've talked about since the beginning, that when you have authoritarian mindsets within a school or a church, I'm not saying anything specific about the school, but this is something that we've been concerned about, we don't empower our young people, then this is normally going to be a response that people have, right? right? That is, that, that if, if dad says, I am your, your, your lawful authority, and you shouldn't think for yourself, you listen to me, and if you don't listen to me, you listen to pastor, mm-hmm. and eventually you're going to listen to the man in your life. Well, maybe this person was too young or wasn't the lawfully wedded husband, but there is this deferential thinking that's, that's right. at the root of it all. And so it's just very hard. We were telling people not to think for themselves, but in one split second, now, now you're supposed should... to think for yourself. And if you don't, now you're, th- there's no recourse for you. So the article continues. Hartso is one of five female former students who have sued Concordia in federal court this past year alleging administrators at the school have ignored a culture of sexual misconduct in recent years. The lawsuits come more than three years into the hashtag MeToo movement and months after the U.S. Education Department found reports of sexual assaults at elementary, middle, and high schools increased sharply between 2015 and 2018. Analyzing survey data from the public and charter schools and juvenile justice facilities, Federal officials in October said reports of sexual violence nationwide increased from about 9,600 in the 2015-2016 academic year to almost 15,000 in the 2017-2018 academic year, an increase of more than 50%. And I want to pause there. And the reason I'm bringing that up, too, is I hear in sort of in the back of my head things that uh, sometimes I've heard from other men and even other women is sort of the Me Too movement has created these cases of these women coming yes. forward. The Me the Me Too hashtag is like a locust. It is the disease, not the thing that was going on. Right. But the Me Too movement. And so I want to stop for a second there and, and say this movement isn't going to create it. It's just that the women get are gathering the strength to come forward and to say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Or they see something 
discussed on TV as obviously problematic. Like, and they say, oh. Well, this is happening here yeah. with me, too. Yeah. You know. It happens all the time, yeah. And so. And that's a, it's, a, it's not a good thing that we're getting the reports, but it's a good thing that we're getting the reports. Right. The, <laughs> it's a good the thing that people are The truth has always been the truth. It's just right. been, have, have we allowed that truth to come out in the past? Don't kill the messenger, kids. <laughs> you know? And I, I want to just mention that because. That's important. I've heard, you know, well, it's not that. That 50% more things have happened. It's the cases being reported <laughs> yeah. that people are willing to come forward has increased. No, and I guarantee you're, you're, you're totally right. People that I've heard in, in my own spaces have, have said that, that sort of thing. You know, so it's a dangerous time to be a dude now with all this, the hashtag, uh, you know, Me Too thing going on, hashtag Church Too. As uh, if everything you're going to do is going to be perceived as some yeah. sort of sexual... Uh, you know, impropriety, in, in but no, that's, no. and I think, I think <laughs> there's I, a difference. I know that people sometimes get that fear going and, and stoke it sometimes, but I think right now we're seeing that that's not really the case. I mean, unless you think that a lot of the high profile people that have been accused of 17 plus serious allegations are, are just being set up which I don't think anyone's really even saying anymore. I think it's increasingly clear that it's hard even now in the 21st century for women to be able to get a fair hearing. I mean, come on, friend. If you disagree with us, do you... Do you, you feel 100% okay about some of these things? You feel 100% okay about the the dude on the Supreme Court? Do you? Do you, you, you want that kind of personality around your daughters, your sisters, your nieces? I don't know. I don't know. But I think that if that's how things went down in 20, the 21st century, then it's not really the case that people are, you know, trigger happy when it comes to allegations. Right. You know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, happens, I'm sure. We've looked at lots and lots of research that shows this is not a real, real problem. But right now, what's going on is it is, in, it is incredibly difficult and it's obviously incredible difficult, incredibly difficult for people to challenge authorities who've been naughty. Or, as we're looking at in this case, not necessarily any high-profile person who's been naughty, but a culture. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing. People do not like talking about the culture because you're saying, are you saying that all Baptists are bad or all Lutherans are bad or all Catholics are bad? No, but we've got a sickness, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what, that's what and this And ladies one aren't lining up to make up stories about you. And get hassled <laughs> online. If anything... It was just super hard for that woman to come forward if she is saying something, or or even some of the young men too. At least that's what this story is carrying. You know, yeah. if this, if this journalistic article is is even eighty percent true, this this kind of demonstrates all of these problematic theoretical issues that we've been talking about in Christianity and religions in general. Now it takes it to a very particular school. Yeah. So, so as the article continues. Uh, Concordia spokeswoman Jane Ponton said in an email that the school has a zero-tolerance policy for violations of its code of conduct and sexual harassment policy. And here it's quoting her, When an alleged violation is brought to our attention, we hold a thorough investigation and take appropriate action based on the results, she said. Because of the pending litigation, we are unable to share any additional details at this time, end quote. And then it continues, home to about 275 students with annual tuition near $14,000 in its upper school. Concordia says on its website that it is a Christ-centered community of servant leaders. 
with a school dance dress code policy that prohibits tight pants. And it says one sexual assault involving a Concordia plaintiff resulted in a conviction. So I'm going to stop there for a second. And um, I want to discuss a couple things there in, in those paragraphs. And one of them is the, the idea of the zero tolerance policy. So you had mentioned about how problematic it is when we consider that all sins are equal type yeah. of thing and, and the trouble that that can sometimes, you know, get us in. And I would say that there is, you know, there seems to be some connection to that and the idea of a, a zero tolerance policy. It's, it's funny because when I think about the zero tolerance policy, I mean, I've heard that now for years. I think it probably, when I was doing some research, I think it got started in the late eighties kind of thing. And it's just something that sort of has been adopted sort of all over. I mean, I, I in my own schools, I saw it when oh, I was yeah. young, you know, younger. And then now for the kids schools as they're older and everybody, you know, mentions this zero tolerance policy, which on the outside makes me think oh, that's a good thing. I, we don't want any tolerance for these, racism, gun violence, drug abuse, whatever, all yeah. these bad things. Right. And then it wasn't until I started thinking about, wait a minute, is there a possibility that this zero tolerance policy in the same way that all sins being equal kind of thing is getting in the way of sometimes some of this reporting? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you mean, then again, not reporting from the journalistic standpoint, but reporting the, the abuse within the, within the communities. Yeah. And it's, it, again, because theologically it is wrong. It is a, an error according mm -hmm. to historic Orthodox Christianity. It's an error to say that all sins are the same. It's something that has been said by some modern American evangelicals and various sects throughout the history of the church. But what we mean is, you know, like the idea that, you know, well, if all sins are the same, essentially you kind of just brush it all off anyway. That's that's the real problem. Uh, what it's meant to establish, of course, within Christianity is the idea that you shouldn't be looking down on somebody else. You know, you're not judgmental. They've got their issues. You've got your issue. And usually the their issue is the prostitute, the uh, the person who's got a drug, a drug problem or something. So you don't look down your nose at them because you've got your own issues is, is usually the idea. Right. What it comes to mean is since all sins are equal, we're going to treat the grievous abuse of power from, let's say, a pastor as the same sort of thing as a kid stealing a Butterfingers, right? Which which leads to the perpetuation of unhealthy systems right. and people within those systems who aren't called to account. All right. So I want to just make sure that, that that's the kind of the footnote going back to earlier shows. Yeah. So the article I was, you know, looking into and I found there's this article entitled Are Zero Tolerance Policies Effective in the Schools? and evidentiary review and recommendations. And this is from the American Psychological Association. Uh, and they basically convened a, a task force to evaluate evidence and make recommendations of this 20, at the time, this was this came out in 2008. So there's even more use of it and it has, you know, so even longer, but they wanted to say, we've had, you know, this policy has been around for at least 20 years now. And is there evidence that it's, doing what it was meant to do. Right. And they mentioned in, in the article that, for instance, a zero tolerance policy against a cell phone basically came back and hurt a child because they were talking to their parent 
on a cell phone who was deployed in Iraq at the time. And that was their only chance in 30 days to talk to the parent. And, and that got treated the same as if it was just somebody maybe probably looking up something on your cell phone from the internet or something like right. that, you know? And I even know from my, my own self is back in the day, I remember, because uh, we always would still have our kids bring cell phones with them. Yes, we would have them smuggle it. You're talking about church camp. Church camp and schools. And school camp. So even those school, not camps, but just school in general. I, I knew Aiden, okay, so my youngest at the time was basically supposed to go to a certain school, but to be a part of a different program, got bused with the bus transfer in the middle of it mm. to then a whole different school. Right. And so I'm like, if you're going to be doing bus transfers and all sorts of things, I want you to have your cell phone. And they dropped Aiden off you. accidentally at the wrong school at some point. No, they, no, what happened with, with that one was because Aiden had the cello. Yes. Certain bus drivers had different policies about whether an instrument can be brought on to the bus and, and especially an instrument of that size. So the first bus allowed Aiden, the bus driver allowed Aiden to get on with this cello. Yep. And then at the transfer spot, which isn't even a school, it's just a spot where a transfer happens. That other bus driver said, no, that you shouldn't be allowed to take it. You know, so but said, okay, because we can't do anything with you, we'll let you go. And so that you get now left at the next school that you're going to be taken to that he gets finally on the bus to get back home. And so Aiden has to, he, Aiden sitting there with no way to get home the rest of the way and then decided to go ahead and, and go to the office instead of even using the cell phone, by the way, because there was a no cell phone tolerance. <laughs> I just said, you're going to have this on you in case you need it. But Aiden was so scared to use didn't the cell phone. The rules, and yeah. didn't want to break the rules. So he goes into the office and explained what happened. And, and this, the lady there was very kind and said, of course, you know, you can, we got it figured out, call your mom. But it was just, it's, it was, it's frustrating because there was another incident where with a school, there was a school, um, like there was snowing and things like that. And so they do alternate bus routes. Mm. Well, the bus driver completely missed the stop that they were supposed to stop at at the alternate bus route for our kids. Um. So our kids end up getting sent back to the school. All and, in a snowstorm. Yeah, and they're seeing me standing there. They're driving by their <laughs> bus stop, and the bus stop, the bus driver isn't isn't stopping, and yet would not text me or use the phone because so, of zero tolerance policy. Zero tolerance. Let me go back a few Sorry, years. Let me I go digress. Back a, no, no, I'm going to digress you even farther because <laughs> I want to go back even a few years. When and, and if if you're a family member of mine listening, it's all it's all uh, good good natured and, and uh, joyful, but it interesting interesting story a while back when my when my grandmother died um we, we were depressed you know we were sad because my grandma died that that's how that goes uh and this was one of the first funerals in the family where we were um you know like kind of medium adults yeah. <laughs> you know my brothers mm -hmm. and i and my my old the older sisters and at, at the time we, we didn't quite understand so i do not make this accusation but there was the the memorial service there was um, a, a an event afterwards where there was uh, catering, food, nice food, and uh, and alcoholic beverages, beers, and my brothers and I were getting a little tipsy, so that's why I say I have no idea if this is true or not. I just want to give you the context. At the time, maybe it was misplaced grief or something, but I kind of rolled this into the idea that uh, my aunt and uncle 
had kind of diverted some of some of the money that was maybe intended for the uh, the funeral and and the, the memorial events and maybe channeled it towards some work related events because other people came to like the 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 memorial part was kind of ending and then new guests that were business associates of my uncle were kind of coming into the scene anyway so this made me think well if if this is where you know if this is where this is going and maybe the whole thing's off like maybe they funded the whole thing well, not, for yeah, all I know they right. funded the whole thing cuz there was no money in the uh, in the possibly. in the estate i don't know right like right. but at the time my brothers and i were kind of pissed we're like wait a minute who are these people that were showing i mean it probably would have been nice to know who these people were that were coming and, and that they were going to be coming or right? you know it probably was because like our family was usually we're always like you know a few hours late to everything so maybe it was like just we inconvenienced their party because I, I don't know, but we got it in our minds that our grandma's estate had turned into booze that was going to be drank and uh, consumed by other human beings that were not members of my family. At which point, there's only one logical thing to do that is start to go to the place where they have the beers. And I'm like, I'm in my early 20s, I don't remember how old I'm. we and then we take, take the beers and we keep sticking them in Scotty, my brother's backpack. Right, with this backpack, we keep sticking the beers in the backpack, so we get eight or nine beers. So we're <laughs> get getting your money's our, worth. Make we're sure we our right. money's worth out of this, right? We take this back home. Well, then we get home and we're sad when everybody, everybody, you know, goes about their business. Then we take the beers out of most of the pockets of this Jan Sport or whatever it was. But then my little sister goes to elementary school, and all of a sudden, her backpack is starting to leak. A very nice effervescent a hoppy <laughs> smell and bubbles and lo and behold by her taking this on her bike to school somehow the the beer popped and it's now spilling all over the third grade class i don't know if this was mrs smell. grant my my favorite elementary school teacher <laughs> that you know probably taught four or five but the point is they were this sweet sister of mine who's never just, she's just sweet as can be, never did anything wrong at the school by any means. Now she's going to be suspended for an alcohol violation because there was a zero tolerance policy. You can't have beer on campus. Well, that's, that's dumb because now something that your stupid brother does is now going to be affecting your record. You know, that's, that's the zero tolerance policy at work. I've never heard anybody talk about zero zero tolerance policies, though, really in a way that's effective and good. It's usually y- you've got a spokesperson who's got a, a, a alleged problem at their institution, and they just say, "Hey, we got a zero tolerance policy for this," and then they go back <laughs> and 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 bail. Now, listen, if I'm in that spot, I've been in administrative roles before. I don't like them. I don't like when the news media is outside um, and they want questions. You know. I've had to be in those spots. I don't. I don't necessarily enjoy them, so I get that. But from the outsider's perspective, that doesn't solve the the thing. It doesn't end the conversation, right? A zero tolerance policy. What we what we showed on the first in the first season is all of those things, even like mandatory reporting. If you don't have a culture that understands why you're doing what you're doing, right. people are just not gonna. They're just not gonna do it. Right. Or they're gonna do it as we saw <laughs> in ways that are unhelpful. Right. And so, I, and what this, what this whole article uh, explains is that there's a lot of times that we will look into a policy maybe and, and, and look into its effectiveness before we implement it, but existing policies don't really ever get looked at. Yeah. And zero tolerant, tolerance policy has been something that has seemed to be kind of adopted by most everybody, but very little has gone into, like, does it actually do what it's meant 
to do. And the idea behind it, of course, is to, you know, cut down on you know, bullying and harassing and, and some of these things well, it's, it's a or, great, it's or a, violent, you know, you know, yeah. firearms and drugs and things, anything that's going to make the school unsafe or an unsafe environment. We're going to have none of that. We're going to have none of this. And it's exactly the right attitude. If you're asking, Fred, don't get us wrong here. If you're asking, you know, it seems like we've been going kind of easy on the boys be boys kind of activities at our school, if you're a college teacher or administrator, we're not saying that you shouldn't take it seriously. We're saying that just having a knee-jerk response to a policy is part of the problem if you're not going to enforce the policy in a proper and mature way. But by all means, take these things seriously. Right, yeah, like, right. right, and if and if it if it you know, and if it's as simple as we're not sure we're going to expel somebody, that's fine, kind of too. We're not saying not to do that, but sometimes what happens is if you do have a zero tolerance policy, that's why people aren't making the um, the the problems known because they realize that this might be something that they see it might result, as a minor infraction. That's yeah, and it might result in, in a you know, yeah, a suspension or somebody being expelled and is it worth that especially when athletics is involved did you mention that part not yet Mm, right not yet but one of the things i want to mention is one of the things that we would hope that a zero tolerance policy does is it help maybe helps with consistency of who we suspend or expel and for the most part they realize that just that policy alone doesn't really help with that that it still comes down to the characters sorry it still comes it still comes down to the characteristics of the schools and personnel. Um, you know, what is their disciplinary philosophy? You know, what and what is the quality of the school's governance? And basically also the behavior and attitudes of the students matter. So all of that also plays into it. I mean, another thing they looked into is the impact on students of color and found that there was a disproportionate discipline of students of color and it continues to be a concern that they there was no data that they are more disruptive, uh, but they are definitely disciplined more severely for less serious or subjective reasons yeah. in the context of that education. So you, you figure, you know, this, you've got schools and districts all over the place and what matters most is sort of, you know, that again, what is the whole ethos of that school, what sorts of things are they, um, you know, what are they, what are they looking at? Who are they punishing? What crimes are they seeing? And how, and how much do they weigh the good family? Right. In you know, this is a family that's not just supporting the institution say, and again, we don't know if this has anything to do with this particular school. We're just talking about, I'm just talking about zero, zero tolerance policy. I think the bottom line, I would just say with something like that is we just need to be careful when we think we have, this policy and that it it should, you know, catch some of these things. We really sh- should evaluate: Do these policies actually work for what they're supposed to do? And in this case, we're finding not the evidence isn't good. I'll say yeah. that. Re- more research. They recommend certain research and things that you could possibly do if you want to look at the article. But I definitely think that it doesn't seem like it. It is. It's not providing the safe atmospheres yeah. that it. You would think it would. May I also say that I don't think that phrase means what you think it means when you have five allegations. So zero mm. and five, I'm not, again, I don't know, you know, I'll, I'll wait I'll wait for all this to play out. But zero and five, eh, those are different numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so zero tolerance, but you knew anything. If you, in fact, look at this article 
and and if it's not false, and look, journalists don't like to print falsehoods of this nature because you can get easily, you know, that you get real sued, mm-hmm. you get big boy sued um, if you, if you get it wrong. And if this is if if this is at all true, then I'm not sure I care what kind of catchphrase you're using. You know what administration speak you're you're bringing at me. Zero tolerance is now infuriating in a way. Like that actually makes me more angry because obviously whatever you're talking about didn't work. I'd rather hear I'd rather hear some heartfelt concern and say, hey, we ha-, you know I would have liked to hear we had a zero tolerance policy or we have a zero tolerance policy. We're looking into whether that didn't work. And if it didn't, we're, we're mortified, you yeah. know, I mean, I get that, but just, it's almost as if you're going to, you know, give that to me as some kind of easy, easy answer. Cause that's, that's obviously didn't work. I'm going to continue with the article where it says, according to Hartso's lawsuit filed in October in U S district court in Maryland, Concordia's hyper sexualized culture was, and then in quotes, fueled in large part by a general consensus that student-athletes, especially male student-athletes, whose athletic programs drew in large alumni donations were, and then quote, above the law. I'm going to continue for a second. Despite reports of sexual assault and harassment in the school, Concordia administrators failed to make any report to state or local authorities, failed to conduct any investigation and failed to even inform Hartso's parents, her lawsuit said. In April court filings, the school moved to dismiss many of Hartso's claims, saying its employees were not responsible for the alleged assaults and could not have stopped them. So there is no allegation or even suggestion suggestion that a particular employee, if properly trained or supervised, would or could have prevented any of the specific harassment or assault that plaintiff contends caused her injury, the filing said. It says in responding to Hartso's suit, Concordia said it investigated reports of a FaceTime video shared with students but never confirmed the existence of an alleged video. Christina Graziano, an attorney who represents the former Concordia students, said Hartso's complaint led other young women who alleged similar mistreatment at the school to come forward with their accounts. The phone was ringing off the hook, she said. If the school had acted on the information and reports it was given, their harassments and later assaults could have been prevented. So <laughs> I want to back up. There's yeah, a lot there. there. Uh, but I want to back up with the first part with saying that apparently, according to the lawsuit, student athletes were somehow maybe considered above the law. Sometimes, sometimes the sports thing is, uh, is more dangerous than the religious thing. Right now in our culture, there's no doubt about that. Right. You put the th- sports and the Jesus together. Right. And I think that there, there is this, you know, concern of, you know, are you going to lose your star athlete, you know, or somebody that, you know, can only perform this particular role on the team and it will affect your, you know, your rankings. <laughs> Back in the day, I don't want to name names, but there was a, a Christian college that we knew of <laughs> that pretty much had some of the athletes moved off campus and put in special housing because they're a motel. Yes, <laughs> nearby motel. Uh, because allegedly unsupervised. And their their lifestyle wasn't appropriate to, you know, the conduct of the Christian college. So they just moved it off. So they moved it off. <laughs> Solve that problem. <laughs> Rather than deal with them on uh. campus, you know, committing 
maybe all of their zero tolerance. Uh, I don't know policy infractions. And notes. I will say, I do not know of any. I do not know of any uh, of any illegal allegations. I would just yeah. know that the behavior was against the code of conduct. Code of conduct, which again makes it also comp complicated. Right. Right. Because if you say, hey, some bad things are going on at the motel down the road, and? you're saying, is it just the kids are having fun and getting out of hand yeah. with their drinking? And if a woman does go over there and then were to You ever, went over to the motel? You went there. Like, what were you thinking? Right. You know? Like, right. all of this Not is, saying anything happened at that no, particular no. situation, but that's, that's something the way now. This Administrators, goes. please listen to how this works. Oh, come on. And can I just give one more story? There was a kid at another college. This was, this was where, like, in a, in a smaller town where people really, really cared about their athletics, you know, and Jesus, but a lot of athletics. And, and this kid had stabbed his friend, allegedly. Uh, but, it was, but he did not get a talking to because, at least according to what... With my colleague said from the college, he said that the he didn't even get a talking to because they didn't want to throw him off because he was going to be playing in the big game on Friday. So the cops didn't mess with them about this alleged stabbing because of the big game coming up. And also he was from a good family. So the article does definitely suggest that maybe especially the male student athletes, you know, had a little bit more license with what they were able to get away with. Right. And and that certain abuses were allowed to continue as that's what at least is being alleged here right harassment yeah. and them being above the law and above all the rules essentially and they you know didn't want to jeopardize their their scholarships or you know their ability to play and I, I right after that in the article it talked about how that these employees and the school itself is not responsible right they're not responsible for how students act right i and it is true that sometimes you can't you you can't necessarily stop what somebody's going to do right if they're right. going to do it they're going to do it but the part that i i just feel like it's such a cop out is is that idea that there's no responsibility towards the culture you're creating you know right that culture is what allows some of this behavior to continue right and to think that 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 you're not responsible for that and i and it basically it's that idea that administrate administrators sometimes don't want to see what's going on in their midst because then they've got to do something about it right and if they just don't so-called see it or Maybe kind of the other one that gets me is that maybe they've looked into it. They looked a little bit, didn't really, you know, didn't find anything, find anything. Uh, how hard you look. <laughs> right. Who did you talk well, to? This is our, this know? is all of our problem. Are we really willing to ask the questions that we don't want to hear the answer to, to our children, to our employees, to our whatever, because, because that kind of feedback is going to save the day if right. we have the, if we have the guts to face it. But, but most of us don't, and we want to just. But ignorance know. is not an excuse. It is not an excuse to say you that you just don't know about it, or you you kind of looked into it, but didn't really look into it. People, we are not at this level. We're in charge of people's lives here. There are kids that go to okay. school. You can't have it both. You can't have it both ways. That we're going to be the special kind of place. We're going to take your money, and we're the Christ-centered the community. Christ-centered community with. 
you know, servant leadership. Uh, and, and what obviously kind of the, leadership the, is this? The article's interesting because it, it mentions, uh, and it really puts things in perspective, you know, because it's my, it's my same, you know, religious group, right? It, it describes this little sect, mm-hmm. the, yeah. this Lutheran church, this little, this little evangelical sect. Describe This it. little evangelical sect that, um, you know, apparently is concerned about how tight people's pants are at the, at the prom or something, right? Which, mm-hmm. look, whatever, talk, that's a different conversation. But it's also, what is, what is very important about this is that this, from the public view, and, and I would argue rightly, a sober view of what this looks like, what the culture is, is we care a lot that, that maybe gals' pants aren't too seductive. And they mentioned, yeah, no tight pants at the, for the dress code, right? Right. So, so, and, and, and the, and the fact that that is what the article, you know, is going to highlight isn't just because of the liberal media. It's because that reads like an interesting piece of the story to anybody who at least is younger than 40, right? If you're younger than 40, that makes the story make sense. You're like, oh, I get what kind of school this is. If you're one of my friends, it's in Lutheran education. It, it's, you're not going to notice that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I might not have noticed it if I didn't pay attention just to have to read it closely, the article. But the idea is that what they see is just another weird sect that makes sure that it's women folk mind their place mm-hmm. and doesn't really let the outside world have a transparent look at what's going on. Yeah. Right? So, so whether that's true or not, that's both what the article is sensing, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, there's a, that there's a problematic culture in one school of this interesting evangelical sect. Right. Uh, but it's also what people are going to see, even if you're a Lutheran kid who's, who's 18 and has traveled anywhere outside of your boundaries, right? So when you go outside your boundaries and you come outside of your sect, you look back at it. And there are things that you're going to think about nostalgically and, and longingly and lovingly. And there's other things that are going to seem really weird now mm-hmm. because you went outside the world and you go, oh, that's, that actually is kind of weird. But that's going to be true for any small sect. It's certainly even a nice small sect. It's going to be true for any family, right? So when you step outside of your family, right. you'll realize the dysfunctions that were in your family and we've all got them. So I, you know, not trying to be overly critical, but I, gu- I guarantee you I'll be nice and critical if... I get more information or anybody in the future continues to try to shut this down in the name of preserving Lutheranism mm-hmm. or a Lutheran synod or Christianity or whatever, or the Christian witness. Well, and, <laughs> and unfortunately, the article goes on to say that there was sort of this task force that was created to come in and, and into the school from the synod looking to see what was going on. By the way, if you're a non-Lutheran uh, here, the synod could mean a, a regional grouping within the big ELCA, Lutheran Church. Uh, the synod is uh, basically another word for our denomination, if you're talking about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I digress, sorry. So the article continues, Ariana Gomez, who enrolled in ninth grade in 2017 when she was 15, said she was harassed daily. One incident described in her suit against the school in November, she said she was lifted in the air at school by quote, a group of male student athletes grabbing at her backside and thighs and spanking her aggressively. She said she reported the incident, but nothing was done. Then the harassment intensified the next year. In quotes, 
many male student athletes, almost exclusively from the football team, would tell Ms. Gomez that they wanted to have sex with her and impregnate her, according to her lawsuit. When Gomez joined other students to complain to school administrators about the harassment, the suit said they took no action. Gomez, now 19 and a senior at another school in Baltimore, said she started seeing a therapist. It was embarrassing, and I just can't handle that constant, everyday catcalling and harassment. She said it was disgusting. And this is the part when you're kind of you're mentioning about the small sect. Gomez's lawsuit said that the Lutheran Church's southeastern district, part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, an evangelical sect with almost 2 million members, deployed a, in quotes, crisis management team, in quotes, to Concordia to respond to sexual misconduct allegations during the 2018-2019 academic year. The team included Sally Hiller, the district's executive director, who met with faculty members, in quotes, not in an effort to understand and respond to their concerns, but instead to institute intimidating gag orders and quash the faculty's push for the administration to implement more stringent policies concerning sexual assault and harassment, according to the suit. So that... Instead of, you know, you think, oh, finally, maybe some people will come in and provide, you know, some sanity right. to all of this, right? No, I guess it was mostly be careful who you're talking to, what you're saying, you know, don't, you're not authorized. The crisis, the crisis management is about managing the crisis for the institution. And you're not authorized to speak on these things or nor should you have some sort of public, that's the kind of way it goes, right? It's, mm. you know, I don't know what specifically happened in this case, but it wasn't about looking out for the people and that were being harmed. It's about, let's keep this under wraps. <laughs> That's according to this, really according to this disturbing, article, according to the article. Again, friends, if you um, are in a network of people, or if you know somebody, or if you yourself have uh, direct information about this, and you want to talk to us um, on or off, you know, line, uh, please do. Please reach out, um, especially if there's something we're missing here. But if this is true, uh, we have to eschew this as as humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, as as. Christians, if you're a Christian, as Lutherans, if you're a Lutheran, as Missouri Synod Lutherans, if you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran, it's not about our team, unless our team is human beings whose suffering we want to limit, mitigate, um, work to restore, and so and so. That's not good. That's not that's not the value of a of a denomination or synod in, in this case. Right. Right. The value isn't. Um, kind of having a concierge, the, the value would be to reach out to the people, the people who are supposed to be the sheep, which, you know, increasingly mm-hmm. not sounding great, but, you know, the people under the steeple <laughs> in, the, in the hands thing. And, um, and, and for that, I'd say, you know, without, without knowing, we cannot make the full uh, condemnation, but, but I'll be darned that that is not, that is not acceptable. If this is true, this is very serious. And I, and I would say this is a reminder, just in general, if a place cares more about the institution than the individual individuals within it, that is a warning sign. Yeah. Uh, so unless you're getting like super rich out of it, why are you in that sy- system? Right. Right. If the whole thing's about them and not you, like honestly, at the face of it, I don't have to argue with this. You don't have to like, I don't have to explain to you why you shouldn't be in that goofy situation. You should tell yourself and to I have the courage to get out of the goofy situation if somebody's not out for your interest yeah, and, and you're are- giving them money. 
and, and there is, you know, some concern that maybe even, you know, it might affect alumni donations as kind of was mentioned, you know, in some right. of these articles or, or just donations in general to your institution. And what's going to happen when they it's do bad, find it's out bad for the brand and what, what's going to happen when this article comes out and now it's five allegations and in, in lawsuits, you know, like think of all the people also that haven't come forward yet, you know, that might, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you have, I'll say this, if you have this many people willing to come forward, there are other people that were unfortunately victims in this same environment that state, state, aren't, yeah. aren't able to come forward or, or won't or don't want to or for whatever reason, you know. Stacy has been a, uh, a professional in the world of colleges and universities in the alumni relations field. Yes. And here's a little uh, free consultation to alumni relations directors. If you want people to trust your organization... Do the right thing now. Yes, 100%. Restore when you find and out say, help it. us. Say, help us. Like, let's let's get it right and let's invite part of the alumni legacy to be the part that maybe they don't necessarily think they're allowed to tell. Yeah. I don't even know what that looks like at a corporate level or a financial level. But if you're a nonprofit university and there's healing that needs to be done at your school or college or seminary or whatever, um, fund it. Don't just don't hide it like mm -hmm. like say, hey, look, this is our responsibility with this legacy comes the responsibility for what that legacy brings. And that is if there's harm that was happening in the past and it's not necessarily our immediate responsibility, the estate owes it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Use use your resources to also provide a space for those alumni who've maybe got really great memories from really great professors, teachers caring volunteers or whatever, and a few really bad memories that they're not allowed to figure out. Right. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, I looked into a little bit about this this school, and it's got some great ideas. You know, I like some, I, I like some the of the ideas pitch. toward toward their their method of, Beautiful you know, space. philosophy behind education. And, yeah, it this seems like... It looked like a diverse student population. It wasn't, you know... They've got some things going for them. And it would, you know, it's sad to see when... I think that's what makes it difficult. Yes, but but it is for sure going to happen if you can't admit the faults and deal yes. with those. And it wouldn't have to be the end, yeah. but it might be the end yeah. if you continue to sweep things under the rug. We, we did not send her kids to a, a, a church-related school. At a certain point, you think that that disease is so big that is it worth even saving? Is it worth, you know, continuing on or... Do you have to just do a whole overhaul of everything in order to clean it up? And maybe you do. You know, there's some, I think, a lot of overhaul. But this is what I'm saying. That's what needs school, to happen when districts. you sweep things under yes. the rug. Well, no, no, no. But no, I think everything, everything needs a big old scrubbing. But what I'm thinking is if schools feel threatened by this issue, I understand. But what, I, what I'm thinking is if schools could get this right, right. if they could say we're small enough to have the overall whole happen faster. We can change the culture faster than a whole, let's say, public school district can change the culture. The public school district might be a few miles ahead of you, mm -hmm. but you can supercharge. You can do it now. You can get, you know, people with psychology doctorates <laughs> to come out. You could get, like, real hardcore professionals to come in and, and work with your community and just and just 
rethink it from the ground up. How do we deal with these issues of system justification? Uh, How do we deal with these problems where we have mandatory reporting and zero tolerance and none of it's working? Right. we got to change our hearts. Well, and I think that the other piece about that is definitely that that help from an outsider's perspective that can come in and see, you know, you mentioned sometimes until you step away from something and you're, you know, until you step away from your own family or whatever, sometimes you can't see what's going on. And I think that that really kind of is one of the things that is harder to be able to get to because it seems like a lot of the times the people that are even like, sometimes running the school are educated in the same school experiences. And when I think when something is way too insulated in that the same graduates that are coming out of the program go on to teach there as well all the time, then you have nobody that comes in with that lens of saying, huh, did you ever think that this maybe isn't the healthiest way to do this? Or Really, this is, un- this is unacceptable. It's not and- just that a lot of people that would be staff and faculty at the school didn't know what was going on. It's that they didn't even know what they should be looking for. And there's these trainings. We do these trainings all the time. We all do them, you know, in, in workplaces. And they're just uh, they're tedious. And, it, and it, you know, I get it. I mean, I'm not talking about something like that, some Band-Aid. I'm saying go deep into the culture and really... Look at it. Really? I don't know. I don't know who does this. I don't know what consultants are out there, but you want to get people that aren't just trying to get your brand spanky clean and new or just people that are going to help you sell widgets or, or get more butts and seats. I'm talking about somebody who's going to go in at like the, the deep social psychological level to your community and get you healthy yeah, and get you mechanisms for reporting the bad things that happen before it becomes a problem for alumni retention or alumni relations and retention of students and the budget and all All those things are served by you having a good and healthy product. And I was going to say, we never sent our kids to a private school, right? but the only thing that would really make me think that's the right, like right way that I should, I should go with this. Um, would be if the private schools of a of a particular cluster or or there could be even just one if a private school could really take this seriously and at the deepest level show that it it cares that would be a place at least i'd 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 really think that that makes that investment really matter mm-hmm. the the investment in the tuition and it shows to me that they understand that if if they're saying if a school is saying we're putting Christ first and foremost, well, then the way of Christ is the way of concern for the orphans and widows. Yes. By which we mean the people usually don't have a good spokesperson, right? So a Christian school is the kind of school that wants to give extra loud volume on the microphone to the quiet kids. Mm-hmm. How you doing? Right. How is this going? I don't want to just hear what I need to hear. I want to make sure everything's okay. You getting picked on? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Kids doing cocaine in the, the bathrooms? What? Cocaine. No, they don't want co- you know, I don't know what the kids are up to. I'm yeah. an old timer, right? Let's figure out what's going on. If we have the courage and the humility to know. But why would we have the hu- humility and courage? Because if it's about the school of Christ, then it's not yours anyway. Right. Jesus doesn't need his brand upheld by you. He needs you to be true to the brand. Right. Where were you 
when I was in prison? Where were you when I was naked? Is another way of saying, where were you? I'm sorry to say it. Where were you when I was being grabbed by these teammates? Where were you? Because that's where Jesus was. Jesus was getting spanked by dudes in a culture that was toxic. And if we don't like to talk about toxic culture because it sounds like just a catchphrase of, of some kind of woke left, you know, faddish kind of thing. That's, that's toxic because it means it's poison to you. For those of you that are, you know, administrators or, you know, professors or teachers or whatever, look at the policies. What are the policies in your school? Not out of fear, let's do this together. Yeah, just say, hey, are the policies actually, you know, accomplishing what we want to be accomplished? You can even look. Who who is being suspended and expelled from the school? And maybe, you know, there's maybe that that those particular kids, they need some extra help in certain ways. It's an invitation to, you know, really look at those groups rather than just sort of kicking them out and isolating them, right, even further from the way of Jesus, right? Yeah. They need Christ more than anything. If they're in a position where they're getting expelled and suspended, there's something going on in their lives, Yeah, you know? And it's not, you know, for yeah, so, us so sometimes... Not, not giving somebody a platform to be naughty in a classroom doesn't mean we abandon our, our yeah, care for 100%. them as human beings as well. 100%. Because, I mean, how else are we ever going to make change? How is it going yeah. to be different? And if you're somebody that has had to endure any of these terrible behaviors that we're talking about in this episode, our hearts go out to you. I just want you to know we see you, we hear you, you're, you matter. And I hope that more and more of us that are even witnessing this kind of behavior will have the courage to stand up for you on your behalf with, you know, and that you can be at a place where you do feel comfortable to get the justice that you deserve, to, to be able to be in a safe space just so you can, so you can learn and, and, and live and go about the world that, that I hope that we all will join in creating, you know, those environments where everybody is safe, where everybody has the freedom and the ability to, have an education, um, you know, be able to grow up without all of these terrible, awful adult type things in this world that you can't even be a child. And, and anyway, we, we see you, we hear you, we love you. Our hearts are, are there with you. And I hope that we all can, you know, have that space where we can live in peace upon peace. <laughs>